Hey guys, this is Nick, and guess what? We have another Patreon subscriber. Woohoo! Today we have a shout out for Dr. Christina Hahn, who is a $20 a month subscriber. Thank you very much, Dr. Hahn. We look forward to seeing you with your Kriogs Over Coffee mug on Twitter soon. If you want to get a cool shout out like Dr. Hahn did, or if you want a cool mug, um, you can go ahead and log on to our Patreon and become a monthly patron for our podcast. It's super easy to do. You just log on to www.patreon.com slash coffee. Hi guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is... Kriogs over, over coffee. coffee. Today we are going to get started on, I guess, probably a little bit more than a haiku, but just to keep our saga series going, a, an adventure through the hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. This is going to be probably a multi-episode saga, given how extensive the hypertensive disorders are. So bear with us, but we are going to be taking you through everything that the new practice guidelines and the committee opinions talk through. So, Nick, what are our learning objectives for the next few episodes? Yeah, so broadly our learning objectives are going to be, number one, to learn risk factors and the dangers of hypertension in pregnancy. Number two, we'll talk about each of the different hypertensive diseases of pregnancy and know their definitions and diagnostic criteria. We'll talk about how to treat each stage of hypertensive disease in pregnancy and in the postpartum period. And finally, we'll talk about delivery options at each stage. And of course, if you guys want to follow along, readings that we recommend would be the uh, ACOG Task Force on Hypertension and Pregnancy's article, Hypertension and Pregnancy the new Committee Opinion 767, and Practice Bulletins 202 and 203. It's a lot of reading, guys, but it's good. Bay, let's start off. What exactly are these hypertensive disorders of pregnancy? Preeclampsia and other hypertensive disorders of pregnancy are defined as new-onset hypertension, usually after 20 weeks of gestation, and often accompanied by proteinuria and other end-organ damage. We're still not really sure what causes it. We really don't know why some people get it versus other people. The theories that have been thrown out there include things like chronic uteroplacental ischemia, immune maladaptation, VLDL toxicity, genetic imprinting, increased trophoblast apoptosis, exaggerated maternal inflammatory response, and more recently, the newest theory is an imbalance of angiogenic factors. Nick, what puts you at risk for having hypertensive disorders of pregnancy? Sadly, right now, we don't have any sort of risk calculator for hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. But again, great resident research project if anybody's looking for one. Fellowship project. Yeah, fellowship project, really. Um, but things that you should consider in terms of counseling and identifying patients who would otherwise be at risk include nulliparity, patients with multiple gestations. Patients with a history of preeclampsia or other hypertensive disorders of pregnancy in previous pregnancies, chronic hypertension, pregestational or gestational diabetes, patients with known thrombophilias, patients with lupus, patients who are obese with a BMI of greater than 30, patients who are of advanced maternal age or greater than 35 years old, patients with the antiphospholipid syndrome, patients with chronic kidney disease, patients who conceived by assisted reproductive technologies, 
or obstructive sleep apnea. So there's your list, Faye, quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so why do we care about these different hypertensive disorders, Faye? Yeah, so um, as we go through these next few episodes, we will be dividing up the hypertensive diseases of pregnancy that begin in pregnancy and chronic hypertension. So I am going to talk about these two a little bit separately. But the reason we care for patients who have chronic hypertension is that it has been shown to be associated with poor perinatal outcomes. So there's an increased risk of things like low birth weight, increased perinatal mortality, increased preterm birth, congenital anomalies. And then also for mom, there's an increased risk for things like death, stroke, pulmonary edema, renal insufficiency, myocardial infarction, development of preeclampsia or other hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, abruption, cesarean delivery, postpartum hemorrhage, gestational diabetes, a ton of things. Now, in terms of the hypertensive diseases of pregnancy, so think your spectrum of gestational hypertension all the way to eclampsia, you have all of those things from above. There's also an increased risk of fetal death. And then for gestational hypertension, we know that up to 50% of women with gestational hypertension actually go on to develop proteinuria and other end organ dysfunction consistent with preeclampsia, especially if they are diagnosed before 32 weeks with gestational hypertension. In terms of patients with preeclampsia with or without severe features, there is significant perinatal morbidity and mortality increases. And in high-income countries like the United States, approximately 16% of maternal deaths can be attributed to these hypertensive disorders. And in low-resource countries, places like Latin America and the Caribbean, hypertensive disorders are responsible for almost 26% of maternal deaths. Wow. I know. And finally, of course, we know eclampsia itself is a significant cause of maternal death. Now that we've talked about all those risk factors and we've defined what preeclampsia is, let's go on to the pathophysiology or the changes that we see in women who go on to develop these diseases. Yeah, so kind of hearkening back to when we talked about our changes in physiology in pregnancy, um, let's take this kind of organ system by organ system, Faye. Sure, yeah. So let's start kind of with vascular changes. These hypertensive disorders of pregnancy are associated with a decrease in the hypervolemia that's associated with normal pregnancy. And oftentimes we can see this clinically by seeing signs of hemoconcentration in laboratories. Okay. These vascular changes are also associated with vasospasm. Now, the combination of these things between the high blood pressure, vasospasm can lead to capillary leak and decreased colloid oncotic pressure. So thinking back once again to medical school there. But what the sum of that is, clinically speaking, is that aggressive fluid therapy can lead to an increased risk of pulmonary edema in these patients, um, which is a significant cause of maternal morbidity and mortality. Hematologically, we can see things like thrombocytopenia due to increased platelet activation, aggregation, and consumption. This can be a marker of disease severity. We can also see hemolysis. Remember that in patients with severe disease, you should check an LDH to look for hemolysis, and mm. any value greater than 600 should be considered diagnostic of that hemolysis. The hematocrit may not appear decreased because of, again, that hemoconcentration we talked about earlier. Bay, what about in other organs, things like liver, kidneys? Thinking about the liver, we know that in patients who have preeclampsia with severe features, they can have increases in the, their AST and ALT. 
if we think back again to medical school and how the organ systems work, remember that AST, which is aspartate aminotransferase, this is the dominant transaminase that is released into the peripheral circulation in liver dysfunction due to preeclampsia and is related to periportal necrosis. So you can actually see an increase in AST to a greater extent than ALT. And this should, would be suggestive of severe disease that's actually due to preeclampsia and not due to other causes of liver injury. Hmm. Also, again, with severe disease and liver dysfunction, you can start to see alterations in hepatic synthetic function. So you can start to see abnormalities in things like the PT, PTT, and even the fibrinogen. In terms of kidney changes, there is going to be presence of glomerular endotheliosis or swelling of these vacuolated endothelial cells in the kidneys. This is going to increase tubular permeability to most large molecular weight proteins, and that's why you see proteinuria in patients who have preeclampsia. And again, remember that there is vasospasm that occurs in preeclampsia, and this can lead to contraction of intravascular space. And so this is going to lead to worsening renal sodium and water retention because even though you are total body fluid up, the kidneys are going to think that they're not seeing any fluid coming their way, so they're going to hold on to all the fluid that's going to them. Hmm. Oliguria, especially in severe preeclampsia, is a consequence of intrarenal vasospasm, and you actually will start to see a decrease in the glomerular filtration rate. So what does all this mean for the fetus? Yeah, so again, consider the fetus, or really the placenta in this case, another end organ that can receive damage from hypertension. So with preeclampsia or with hypertension more generally, there could be impaired uteroplacental blood flow, really secondary to the failure of physiologic transformation of spiral arteries or the presence of placental vascular insults or both of these things in combination. Either way or both ways, it's going to limit blood flow to the uteroplacental unit. This lack of blood flow can lead to a variety of consequences, including growth restriction, oligohydramnios, placental abruption, and non-reassuring fetal heart tracings during surveillance. Certainly, all of these things can increase risk of either spontaneous or iatrogenic preterm delivery. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of our time in terms of what we can talk about today regarding hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. So next time, we're going to actually be talking about diagnosis of, you know, your gestational hypertension all the way to eclampsia spectrum. And then after that, we'll talk about chronic hypertension. But let's sum up what we talked about today. Absolutely. So again, we started out talking about some definitions. Um, we talked about that hypertensive disorders of pregnancy are defined by that they are new onset hypertension, generally after the 20th week of gestation, that are accompanied often by proteinuria and other signs of end organ damage. There are multiple theories about what causes preeclampsia and other hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, but we're not entirely sure. Risk factors for patients include a multitude of things, and I won't relist them, but just remember that if you've had preeclampsia in, in the past, you're more likely to have it in the future. And also, other diseases outside of pregnancy and in pregnancy can lead you to be at higher risk for preeclampsia. We talked about why we care, and we broke it down into, with chronic hypertension, there are a number of or perinatal and maternal outcomes that are associated. Just for a sampling, again, an increased risk of low birth rate or perinatal mortality. And for mom, increased risk of pulmonary edema, stroke, myocardial infarction, placental abruption, death. 
Um, and then in hypertensive diseases of pregnancy, namely with preeclampsia, gestational hypertension, etc., you also increase your risk of fetal death. Remember that in high-income countries even, that 16% of maternal deaths can still be attributed to hypertensive disorders. And this is even worse in places where with less resources. In terms of changes that you can see in different organ systems that are caused by preeclampsia, you can see a lot of vascular changes, things like hemoconcentration as well as vasospasm and capillary leak, which just essentially means that patients are more likely to develop swelling and pulmonary edema. Hematologically, we can see thrombocytopenia due to the increased platelet activation, aggregation, and consumption, and can be a marker of disease severity. You can also see hemolysis. Remember to check that LDH because hematocrit may not appear changed because of the hemoconcentration. Hepatic changes include things like periportal necrosis, which leads to um, an increase in AST to a greater extent than ALT. And with severe disease, this can lead to alterations in the hepatic synthetic function. You'll start to see changes in your coagulation panel. Renally, because of the presence of glomerular endotheliosis, or those swollen endothelial cells, there's increased tubular permeability to large molecular weight proteins, leading to the proteinuria that's characteristic of these diseases. You get that vasospasm in the kidneys that causes worsening sodium and water retention. Oliguria is a consequence in preeclampsia of intrarenal vasospasm. And finally, all of these things, including vasospasm and things like that, can lead to impaired uteroplacental blood flow overall, and this can lead to severe consequences for the fetus, including things like growth restriction, oligohydramnios, abruption, and non-reassuring fetal status, which can lead to both spontaneous and iatrogenic preterm delivery. All right, so that wraps it for this one. Stay tuned for our next episodes where we dive even further into these disorders. But for today, once again, I'm Nick. I'm Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and go on to iTunes or any of your other podcatchers and give us a five-star rating or review. You can find us online at Creogs Over Coffee 1 on Twitter, Creogs Over Coffee on Facebook, or at our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com. You can also find us on our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash creogsovercoffee if you want to give us some love in exchange for some swag. And help us make the podcast better or let us know what you want to hear. Email us at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com or reach out to us online and we'll get back to you. Mm-hmm.